Welcome back to the Hoof and Fang podcast. I'm Kurt Graves. And I'm Mathematics. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. It's a long day. It's good. <laughs> That's how you can gauge how well my day's actually going. It's right? by the pitch of my voice. Yeah. It's probably not a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just day job being crappy, but nah, that's like the theme of the podcast at this point. All right. Uh, Sadly. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, and you warned us that this would happen. Yeah, this is the uh, year for time is, of the year for it. Yeah, so. this is the worst time. Mm-hmm. So, are you getting any work done uh, as Maz? Yes, kind of. Like yeah. d- during the weekend. Your voice didn't go as high. Yeah, right? So it, it's us. like a good yeah. medium, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I still have energy at the end of the day, I get at least an hour of writing in. But like during the weekend is when I'm getting most of my writing done at this point because mm. I can wake up, have some coffee, and try to be as productive as possible until I get pulled away for real life stuff. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's getting there. It's going. Okay. So, yeah. Do you have a, a deadline for when you think the next book is going to be done? Man, that's tough. I, I think I'm about halfway through the um, second Wild Contracts. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to try to get that one like wrapped up with a bow and then get maybe a third or so through the third book before I finally release it. Because right. I wanted to be able to have like a good, strong uh, end date for the third or release date for the third book, because I don't want to leave people hanging on that one. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. Cause I've never done this before. I've never done it to where I have to plot out the next book so close or like have a good date ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like kind of new territory for me. Does it make it more daunting? A little, but I have done much tighter deadlines in the past. Okay. So I know I can do it if I really, really need to like, uh, with the first wild contracts, I had to get that one out in time for, the um obsidian flame crate book Mm -hmm. and so they were like we have to have it like the book in our hands by this date which means i had to finish it you know four months before that so i was like i was going crazy (laughs) trying to finish that book because i really (laughs) thought i was like more ahead than i was and then when i hit like when i was like two or three months out from delivering the books and i was not done i was like oh shit so i remember finishing that book and like my hands were cramping because i like I had been just going so hardcore, like writing and like trying to get it done with like within like a month that I was just writing so much that when I physically hurt you, physically hurt myself to be able to like type that much because I was just any downtime I had, I was putting words down because I was like, I can't let these people down, you know, like they're expecting this book. And if I don't get it, yeah, there's a box. Like if if I don't finish it, like they can't deploy this box. They're going to have to figure something else out. So Mm -hmm. that crunch of like i might disappoint these people who i want to continue having not only a business relationship with because i love obsidian flame crate but also i love rachel and taylor like so much so i don't want to like crush this friendship so mm-hmm. i was like i have to do it all right so rachel and taylor uh you need to give maz another deadline <laughs> don't do that to me <laughs> please god no like i i think the next collaboration i want to do with them doesn't require me having to write a like ninety thousand word book by a deadline so i'm like yay it's much more relaxed yeah so but yeah i I need i i think maybe setting a firm date for myself as a maybe a soft deadline so Mm -hmm. be like okay this is my goal post but if some catastrophe happens and it doesn't work out at least i'm not disappointing like beyond just myself right but Maybe having that firm date, I can be like, okay, that's my goal. Like, 
got to sit down and do it every day kind of thing. So, hmm. but I don't know, maybe, maybe I can realistically get it done by early February. If I really, okay. if like work calms the hell down and I can just really dedicate my evenings to writing, I can do it. Starting in like January. <laughs> Starting not, in like January. Because work's not going to calm the hell down before. Probably not. Uh, the holidays. Yeah. Or if I could take like a full week off and like go out of town. Like I don't have to take care of the cats. Yeah. I don't have to like figure out what's for dinner. Just like be left alone for a week. I could get a lot of shit done. Let yourself do a writing retreat. Yeah. No. Yeah. That no. might, that might be. Well. I do. At the hey. beginning of the year. Hey. It's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Are you being productive this week? Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, I have three projects back to back, but they're all co-narrations, which okay. always feels like cheating. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I only have to do half? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it is uh, three of my fantasy books. I'm doing the fifth of Tavia Lark's Perilous Court series nice. right now. And then right after that, I go into the third and fourth books in the Beautiful Nightmares series. Ooh. I don't know that I've talked about those on the pod. I have liked the name of that um, series a lot. They're um, like dark fairy tale retellings okay uh very gay very spicy very kinky nice uh and uh yeah it's written by i hope i get this right i think it's amy fury and anna penza okay but it could be anna fury and you amy might be penza. flipping it okay because <laughs> they're they're a names and i'm i usually get them mixed up yeah. even when i'm like searching in my files i'm like okay wait a minute yeah what were they named again <laughs> like <laughs> did i put it under amy or anna um so yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my week. That's actually this week and a good chunk of of next week is nice. getting those. I have to check those, those out. It's been a while since I've I've read like a really really spicy one. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Mm. Well, and I guess like they're so creatively spicy. I'm like, are they even spicy? Because like they're not even humans having sex. They're nice. like monsters having sex together. And I am like, all about what monster is fucking. what is my life? I'm like <laughs> that's your life. Yep. What is my life? Mm. You know, like. Cool. I'm I'm over here trying to build a repertoire as a respected and loved narrator, and yeah. that's like, well, this week I did a gargoyle and a vampire. Hell yeah, going at it. I, I was like, it. well, this is life. Yeah, you know, and this is this is what I do. That's how you pay your bills. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so I know I'm not even sure if they've announced those that series yet, but oh well, cats out of the bag. Well, hey, it's I, coming to audio. Two got, of the books are already done. Two nice. more are coming in in quick order. So by the new year, they should all be popping right out. Nice. Well, it got my attention. I think that sounds great. There so, you go. Hey. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of audiobooks, uh -huh. uh, we do have an official winner for our January 2024 audiobook poll. Right. Um, well, we certainly have somebody who had the most votes. Yes. There can be multiple winners. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, the person with the, mo the or the the book with the most votes, I should say, because mm. they're all winners. They they're all sound. All that's why we pick those because they're right. they're all very exciting. Yes. So, uh, but the one with the most votes was Three Meant to Be by M. N. Bennett. Yay! Gay witches. Gay witches. <laughs> Yay! We love that. Yes, it's going to be exciting. Yes. So. so that will be our January, twenty twenty four audiobook. Yeah, kicking off Officially. the new year. Yeah, with uh, gay witches. Gay witches. Yeah, that's setting the tone for the year. So <laughs> I love it. 
Exactly. But don't forget about our December audiobook, which does come first. Mm -hmm. Ethan and Jag Destroy the World uh, will be coming out on December 29th. And if you are a dear listener, uh, if you are subscribed as a dear listener to our Patreon, you get the book essentially for 10 bucks because that's your membership cost. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that membership cost also gets you a bunch of other perks exclusive episodes, Mm -hmm. as well as a 40% discount to our online store for the existing audiobooks that are there. Yeah. Uh, And every paid member of the Patreon gets that 40% discount. If you buy one thing from our Patreon store Mm -hmm. and you're a $5 member, you've paid for your membership. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's how that works. We're trying to make this uh, advantageous for everybody who becomes a member. Right. So even if you only sign up at the $5 level and you use your 40% discount on a book. It's paid for itself. It's it's paid for itself. Yep. So, uh, but the best deal is to become a dear listener and get that audio book as a perk of membership Mm -hmm. every single month. So we do encourage you to go and do that. And if you are that, tell your friends about it. Yeah. Spread the word. Yeah. We would, we need, we need more. Yes. We want more. I want to hit those goalposts, man. I want that Stallion Ridge radio show so bad. And we are so many members away from that. Yes. Because that will be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It will be joyful work when we can do it. Yes. But yeah, we got to get the numbers first Mm because who boy. That's going to take some time. Yes, it is. It's very (laughs) ambitious. It's like one of those exciting projects that I'm, I'm so excited for, but when the time comes, I'm going to be like, oh my God, right. <laughs> like it's going to be such a haul and such so much work and, and exciting though. Yeah. So. It'll be good. Yeah. So speaking of kind of what's been in the news as of like the past couple of days, this article has been floating around how I forgot which streaming service it was. It was either Warner Brothers or Discovery. I can't remember, but they're, they're removing a bunch of digital content now from like Amazon and other streaming services because they're okay. trying to get more people to go subscribe to whatever their streaming services. Okay. And it's caused a resurfacing of a conversation that has happened on the internet a ton where digital content being one of those things that's like a double-edged sword, it's easy to get to, but you don't really own it because it's not a, like a tangible thing. Yes and no. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because I th- when we subscribe to a service mm-hmm. and digital content is a part of that subscription price, they can do whatever they want with it. Right. We don't own it. Yeah. There are plenty of things, including our audiobooks, if yes. you buy them from us, that once you have the digital content, you own it forever. Yeah. And if somebody tries to take it away from you, you have a really good basis for a lawsuit mm-hmm. because you bought it. Yes. It belongs to you. Right. Uh, but yeah, with streaming, mm-hmm. you don't yeah. get to keep it forever. Yeah. It's renting. Even if you like buy a whole season it, mm-hmm. it can be taken away. Cause I think there's something, I think it was Rick well, and again, Morty. Not if you buy. Well, like they're taking, they're removing it off of other platforms though. That's the whole like kick in the ass about it is that things that people have paid. Like I paid for this season. It's mine. Like on Amazon, they're removing it from that service. So it's not there anymore, which is I, insanity. I haven't read this article. Okay. I don't think that's legal. Yeah. You can't take something away that somebody paid for. No. I, I saw something surfacing. Like, I think they're removing it from, like, the PlayStation Store and other stuff where they're like, sorry about you. Like, it's gone now. Right. They can take it out of the store. They can't mm. take it out of your digital library. It'd be I like walking not. into your house and taking the DVD that you bought from Walmart. Right. You can't do that. Yeah. I think there's some type of weird, like, red tape or, like, fine, fine print kind of thing in there. And it's it's just causing a whole uproar. So I wanted to talk about digital versus physical media and ask Mm -hmm. kind of like 
do you collect any physical stuff these days or have you gone mostly digital at this point? We basically got rid of all of our physical media mm -hmm. this summer when we finally cleaned out our basement. Yeah. Like the box of DVDs, the box of CDs that we carried through three houses and never opened. Yeah. That just stayed in the basement. We finally were like, let's donate these mm -hmm. to somewhere that yeah, might, someone yeah. might actually use them. Right. Like, do we even have a working DVD player? Do we even have a working CD player? Like, yeah. Could we play these anywhere, but in our cars if we wanted to? So, right. uh, and we do it like we subscribe to different music and television services. So yeah, that's kind of how we are too. And even if we, it's not a part of a streaming service, you can almost always go to Apple or Amazon and buy the thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're, it's just so available that we didn't really see the point in having physical stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, and for a very long time, I wasn't buying physical books, mm -hmm. but I'm sort of finding a small joy in it again. Yeah. Uh, with very meaningful books. Yeah. Ones yeah. that I'm really interested in uh, or ones that I've narrated that have meant a lot. So it's more like a collection to commemorate my work. Yeah. But if I was just interested in reading a book, no, I'd probably still go go get the ebook. I think that's how I've I've been with most media now. Like, I think books are the only exception as far as media that I consume that I still buy physical copies of. Because like movies, no. Because we did the same thing. We had like just an insane amount of DVDs, and then of course when Blu-rays came out, we started doing mm -hmm. Blu-rays. I think we had VHSs for a little bit. Like there were still like a couple that we kept for question mark reasons. So. But with our, since we had to move so much, that stuff just got purged. I did it with my old video game systems too. Like I still had my 64 and uh, Game Boy Micro and stuff. And I went and sold all of it because you can buy the digital versions of those games now on mm. the newer consoles. So I was like, I'm not keeping any of this stuff. Right. But when it comes to books, they've almost transcended to me from being like the thing I read and carry around to like, I don't touch them collector's items almost like my I get like the sprayed edge books and mm -hmm. now they're just like these fun little jewels to keep around. But as far as like actually consuming books, it's, it's usually digital at this point. Yeah. 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 The only ones I have bought have been the commemorative ones for like the books I'm really proud of narrating. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, I just bought 54 Animorphs books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, see, it's like, that's that weird was it. how it all comes you back know, around. 54 plus a few chronicles and mm -hmm. <laughs> some extras. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I like, it's just something about doing this special project that was like, oh, I want that to commemorate it. Yeah. Uh, it'll be cool to have it physically for you to be able to see them and interact with them the way I did as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I guess it, it has to have special meaning if I'm going to have the physical thing. Yeah. Taking up space in my house. Yeah. Because That's it is so easy to hold on to things for so long. Yeah. Um, my dad is what we'll call a collector. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and so for many, many years, I think that it's finally changed <laughs> for many, many years. We had like 20, 30, 40 boxes, mm -hmm. like bankers boxes full of sports illustrated. So oh, crazy. In our garage. Yeah. Because he saved every single one. That's nuts. And it was like, what be the point of that father? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it was like. And I think I have that gene mm. inside me. So I have for my adult life been rebelling against that instinct to like to, hold to on collect. to things. Yeah. So I'm, I am a purger. Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe to a fault sometimes, but my philosophy is always like, if I get rid of this now, mm-hmm. one, hopefully it can be useful to somebody else right. who needs it right now. Yes. And if at some point in the future I end up needing it again, it will be available. Yeah, you can find it again. I typically. will find it again. Mm-hmm. So it is the the mental health of having a clean and organized space yeah. over holding on to something on the very slim chance that you might need the object again. Mm-hmm. I am also not a book rereader. Really? You don't, I, re-re- you don't have like comfort reads or anything? Nope. No, I, I, I usually don't rewatch movies or uh, television shows. I will if it's sorry. I just kind of did a weird throat thing. Mark. Um, television shows are a little bit different because you spend so much time with the characters. They sort of become like friends. Yeah. And so then like revisiting them is is something i will do mm-hmm. uh, but i barely pay attention oh like, yeah it's I'm just bad about something that. that's in the background yeah. it's comforting more than it is entertaining yeah um but yeah once i know how a story ends i'm just kind of like that's fair i've seen it i've done it yeah i know it like the joy of discovering it is gone mm-hmm. do i reread a lot now for work yes yeah yeah i think I you have, have to, to kind of read a book and then read it again so yeah. like that's part of the gig um but otherwise, I've never been a rereader. So, like, having the physical book around doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I should pass it on. Yeah. Pay it Pay it forward. Give it to somebody who will enjoy the book and be right. like, now it's your book. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to keep it if that's important to you or give it away. Yeah. Pass it along. Yeah. So, I try not not to have too many sentimental things like that. That's fair. See, I, I, I haven't reread something in a while, but I definitely have those comfort reads, especially if it's an audiobook form, because that makes it even easier. Mm. So I have things where if I really am on a like a long road trip or a flight or something, I'll listen to the same story again. And I think it's the same with the TV shows where I'm like I'm kind of half paying attention because right. I know it's going to happen, but I'll I'll zero in on the parts and I'm like, oh, I love this part or whatever. But yeah, I I have way too many movies and shows that I will I've watched to the point where. If Alex walks in and sees me watching it again, he's like, are you serious? Right. I'm like, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is my comfort thing. Uh, well, I do sometimes take joy in introducing other people to things and I okay. will watch it or listen to it again. Mm-hmm. Like I've listened to Tina Fey's Bossy Pants probably, no joke, like a dozen times. It's a good um, book though. But like at least half of those were road trips with other people mm-hmm. who hadn't heard it. Yeah. Including every year on my forensics trips to nationals, if we were driving like new batch of students, they haven't heard bossy pants. Guess what we're listening to kids. That's amazing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I never apologize for that. If I love that book. If you don't like it, put it in your earbuds and mm. listen to something else. Yeah. But we're listening to Tina Fey satirical essays yes. read by the author. Yes. Such a good book. That's all there is to it. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean the joy of giving somebody else the thing mm-hmm. when it's physical is much easier because you just give it away. Right. Um, but the sharing experience of a digital product is sort of like its own joy. Yeah. That makes sense. So. Yeah. And I, I have to recognize too that, that like while digital feels fickle sometimes, especially when a lot of our stuff is in like Kindle Unlimited. And of course that can be mm-hmm. turned off or taken away at like in a heartbeat because right. that's definitely happened to people. Um, it, you know, having the, 
opportunity to release stories as digital content has revolutionized the ending publishing movement. Like I wouldn't have been able to put my books out if ebooks weren't a thing. Right. Like, cause you can't get your books in Barnes and Noble very easy. I've tried. <laughs> it's tough. And of course, like getting print copies of books are so expensive. So having that digital option has just completely opened up the world of being able to share these very, very niche stories. So while it, you don't get to hold it in your hands until much later, typically being able to just have it in some type of electronic form is so important. So it's one of those weird things where I have a deep love for eBooks because that's my career, but I also am turning into a weird book dragon lady where I just, I have to have like this little <sighs> horde of collectors because a lot of my, you know, I collect all my friends' books and stuff. So it's getting out of control. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I'm, I'm very specific now about physical media having usually just books at this point and like movies, eh, like maybe if I knew somebody in the movie, it'd be different, but right. yeah, typically not so much. Yeah. Do you think independent author would be a job if it weren't for, I don't think so. I really don't. I, I just don't see how we could. I mean, just think of not without paying a lot of money. No, I mean, hell, you have to have startup money to have to to publish an ebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least a little bit. It doesn't right. it doesn't have to be hundreds of dollars, but you have to have at least a Canva account to make your book cover. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have to have. We well, have to pay for the ISBN and, yeah. and those sorts of things mm-hmm. too. Like, and there were before digital products, there were like vanity presses where right. you could like, hey, I wrote a book, and they would help you package it and put a cover on it and get a blurb and everything. But like you paid them like handsome, a few thousand dollars to Mm -hmm. do like a print of like 200 books. Yeah. But then you, you just got them Mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, now you sell them. Yeah. Yeah. They would print it, but that's it. Right. And where are you going to take them? Right. And so like, and that, that really is like the revolution that was Amazon Mm -hmm. uh, because they not only allowed you to create a digital product, they gave you the marketplace to sell it. Mm-hmm. And you you paid for the marketplace. Do you pay for the digital product, for creating the digital product? No, that's that's one of the good things about publishing through Amazon is it costs you nothing. Right. So but So they're taking it on the back end. Mm-hmm. They're not charging anything up front. Right. You know, which is a I mean it's a brilliant business model. It's, it's what great. a ton of people have done mm-hmm. moving forward. I mean I think streaming came out of that idea. Yep. Uh, streaming is not, let, let me be clear. Streaming is not good for any industry. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's great for consumers right, right now. But it's bad for the artists. <laughs> yeah. Let's be very clear. Like, right. We just had two strikes all about this. Yep. Uh, because artists are not getting paid enough when their content is being essentially given away mm-hmm. for whatever portion of $15 a month consumers pay right. and watch it. Yeah. Uh, and and we didn't even know how much of our content was being watched because they yeah. didn't release those numbers. Um, so streaming is bad for the artists. Mm. Full stop. Yes. Spotify, bad for music. Yep. Netflix, other streaming platforms, bad for actors, directors, and writers. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I'm thrilled that Spotify is now doing audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not excited about that trend. So bad. So, and that's where like, I, I do this now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, because this was on the horizon. We knew it was coming Yep. and 
artists who want to create stuff are going to have to have multiple streams of revenue yeah, you have to, to be pivot. able to continue to do their work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, so I mean, yeah. that's why you see so many of these Patreons and podcasts and stuff popping up is because we're kind of getting kneecapped by these mm-hmm. big, like we're, we have to be on these platforms because there's nowhere else for us to go. Right. So they know that they can just pay us pennies. So we're like, all right, all right we're going to have to do something else to pad the numbers. Right. So, but yeah, I'm, but again, without, the digital media without these big streaming services and Amazon and stuff, we wouldn't even be able to do any of it anyway. So it's just, it's a weird it love. Gives hate. And takes. Yeah. It gives and takes. It's, it's tricky for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that's, that's been on my mind lately. Cause it's, it's complicated. I, and I mean, we've talked about so many people are pulling their books from Amazon and going wide now doing direct sales and stuff. And even that's hard. Cause you're trying to, find a new audience outside of these very easily accessible platforms. Yep. And I mean, we can, I feel like I could talk about that forever. Right. <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Well, and it's such a hard thing to choose to do. Yeah. To say, I'm going to take myself off the largest platform, mm-hmm. the best selling platform yep. of my media in the world. Yeah. And then because I disagree with how they do business, <laughs> yeah. which is like, it's fair. fair 100%. Fair. Yeah. It's, it's bad. We wish they were doing different. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a big hit to take. Yep. And not everyone can afford it. That's uh-uh. for damn sure. Because you're, you're basically like I'm making some money and I have to walk away from at least making some money to making no money right. and hoping that you can find a new audience, a new pl- on, on a new platform that mm-hmm. works. And oh, oh boy, who wants to walk away from a paycheck? Right. It's yeah, it's tough. It's scary. Well, and for many people, it's not worth it. Mm, no. You know, like for many people, the decision wouldn't be take my work to another platform and try to make it work. It would be like, I'll just stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody wants that. Like, I, I, I hate the fact that people have to decide to walk away from creativity because it's just not viable. They're not making money. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've got dear friends who are going through that right now who have had to make that call and are like, nope, it's not working. Like I can't, these policy changes on these platforms have made it to where I can't pay my electric bill. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to have to go back to working full time. And right. if I'm able to write again, great. And that just means that those stories are not gone, but whatever future ones that they're working on may never come out. Yeah. And that that's just an arrow to the heart to me. Cause you know, it is when you know, the people specifically to whom it is happening. Right. I think to be a cold hearted asshole about it, that is also sort of how the market works. Oh, for sure. You know, like yeah. when you open up a market to so many people, mm-hmm. really this about the same number of people are going to succeed. Right. As to when it was narrow to now it's wide. Mm-hmm. It just means there's going to be more people who don't make it. Yeah. But they had a shot. Yeah. They were, they were like, in the mix, they had the opportunity, um, but there's only a certain number of readers in the world. Yeah, there's only a certain number of people who are ever going to be attracted to the thing that you create. Yeah, and Amazon gives you the opportunity to get in front of those people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say this is the one. Mm-hmm. This is the one that everybody should like. Yeah, you know, right? Obviously, there are other marketing forces that do that in the publishing world specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But Amazon just gets to say, here's all of your options. Yeah. And other authors, come on in. Mm -hmm. And we're here for like the 10% who make it big. Yeah. You know? For sure. Because we're taking our cut of your stuff when you get huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that allows us to keep the doors open for everybody else. Right. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean. No no guarantee for success. Yeah, right. None. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and you probably have author friends who are going through this. I certainly know some narrators who are, you know, tried to go full time and couldn't mm-hmm. and went back to working. And now this is their side gig again. Yeah. Who knows how long it would be before I have to do that. You know, like, yeah, I nothing mean, is guaranteed. That's very sure. Uh, and if if we keep going down the road of streaming and just getting paid. Pennies mm-hmm. for like n- minutes that somebody listened to your audiobook. Yeah. Publishers, production houses, and independent authors are all going to stop mm-hmm. producing audiobooks at the rate they currently are. Oh, for sure. Because the return on investment will take so much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll take a sharp dive. Like, that sucks. And we don't have the option of like touring with our music. Right. Oh, my like, God. Why is it that a thing? Or like doing speaking gigs mm-hmm. or like appearance. Getting appearance fees, yeah, like when you are in a movie or when you're a musician, like we don't have those other streams of revenue to be able to say, wow, it really sucks that streaming took away all of our album sales, Mm -hmm. but here's how I'll make money elsewhere. Right. Yeah, we don't get that. Yeah, no. (laughs) We don't get that. No, not so much. So to apply what the industry has learned about music and movies to books Mm -hmm. is just really scary. Yeah, it really is. And who knows where we will end up. It's all up in the air. Mm-hmm. We can we can just keep doing our best. That's mm-hmm. all we can do, and just yeah. kind of watch the trends and and adjust when we can. I mean, shit, we're adjusting now with this podcast. Like, right. <laughs> trying to pivot. That's all you yeah. can really do. Right. So, well, and and continuing to advocate for like, hey, if you like stories written by people mm-hmm. and narrated by people, fight back. Yeah, make your opinion known. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't buy things. If they weren't created by a human and yeah. don't support companies that are paying the humans next to nothing yeah, to do their work, yeah, to do the thing that you love, like uh, where the almighty dollar goes is going to change a lot. So mm-hmm. yep. it's going to take a collective action and I think a uh, change in how we think of artists as a society. Mm-hmm. We have to start valuing them more as like the people who create commodities rather right. than the commodity themselves. Yeah. And, um, and making sure that they have what they need to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems so simple mm-hmm. and yet it's just consistently never that. Right. Well, and I don't think people think about it when they're yeah. buying the book or hitting play on the movie. Like it takes a lot of people to get that thing out in the world. Yeah. Even, even the independent publishers even the independent authors like there's a lot of hands Mm -hmm. uh making that thing happen a lot of people have to get paid yeah yeah it's i mean it's the author obviously but there's a cover artist there's usually multiple editors Mm -hmm. um whoever you've got helping with your ads like all these people not to mention the tens of thousands of employees for the corporation yeah that has the marketplace no shit that sells the thing yeah god that's why they take their cut Mm because they're paying for a lot of people to have their jobs yeah yep 
Yep. Especially Amazon. That's that's so many people. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is this is a topic that I think we could probably talk ad nauseum. Like there's right. just so many moving parts and we're very passionate about it. But support authors, writers, actors, directors, mm-hmm. support them directly yes. when you can. Absolutely. That's all we can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if there's an avenue to get something through a giant corporation or directly from the person, if you can afford to get it directly from the person, do it. Yeah. Uh, that you can you can help a lot mm-hmm. with just how you choose to spend your money. So agreed. Um, and if you're somebody who doesn't have the money to support an author directly, uh, but you love the thing, great. Do what you got to do to get it, except yeah. for steel. Yeah, yeah. Don't pirate or anything. <laughs> I will never advocate that. But I mean, you can help a ton just by reviewing, sharing, word of mouth. I mean, mm-hmm. I know for a fact, especially in the MM romance community people's recommendations go much further than any marketing that we can throw at you. Cause you'll right. see a cool Facebook ad and you're like, whatever. But if your friend who reads all of the same stuff as you and is like, this book is amazing. You'll pick that up. Yeah. So if it's something you really care about, just talk about it, post about right. it, do whatever. Like that's, that counts so much more than I think people realize. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. And thank you to everybody who, who does post stuff about this podcast. Yeah. We see it. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, and we we really appreciate that you like what we're doing and that you're telling people about it. So thank you. Yeah, that does. It makes our, our lives so much happier. Like yeah. I'll be chugging away at the day job and get a notification that somebody said something about Hoof and Fang. And I'm like, yay! yay. Like it just yeah. makes my whole day better. It does. It really does. All right. Well, so this week uh, we are talking to author Sebastian Nothwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian Nothwell is the author of Oak King, Holly King, Mr. Warren's Profession, and its solar punk retelling, Solar Fantasy, and his latest, Fiorenzo. Uh, when he is not writing, he is counting down the minutes until he is permitted to return to writing. He is absolutely not a ghost and definitely did not die in 1895. Uh, can confirm because he did join us for an interview. Here is our chat with author Sebastian Nothwell. Welcome to the Hoof and Fang podcast, author Sebastian Nothwell. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Oh, we're so excited to chat with you. Um, before we go too far, I... Since you are an author I have not yet had the privilege of working with, I would love just to hear a little bit more about what you write and then kind of how you got started and how you found your way to writing uh, in this particular genre. Absolutely. Um, I write queer romance, shock of shocks on this podcast. Yeah, Um, right. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that would really be shocking if somebody was like, oh, I've never written a queer story. (laughs) You'd be like, oh. (laughs) I write phone books. Uh, How'd that happen? Um, I write, I started off writing historical fiction, and now I've positioned into kind of historical fantasy, because that lets me kind of create a more welcoming world for my characters that isn't necessarily bound by real history. Would love to get into that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I was about to say, we could <laughs> deep dive into that, I think. <laughs> but before we deep dive too far into that, um, so yeah, how did, how did you get started in writing? Um, so if my brain idles for more than 30 seconds, it starts storytelling as a defense mechanism. So that was always there. And then 
About 10 years back, I got a text out of the blue from my sister saying, let's write romance novels and become rich and famous. And I was like, okay, challenge accepted, I guess. I've got fuck yeah. all else going on. <laughs> so Sure, like every other author. They just weren't doing anything. So they thought I'll write books. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. That sounds right. <laughs> so I set myself a um, New Year's resolution that for every day for a month, I would open the same text document and add something. If it was just like a paragraph, a sentence, a word, whatever, but it had to be something, had to be every day. By the end of the month, I had 10,000 words. So I was like, okay. Text my sister back. Hey, I've got 10,000 words of something. Do you want to read it? And she was like, actually, I only read finished books. And I was like, okay. Challenge accepted. I'm finishing this now. (laughs) Gauntlet thrown. (laughs) My goodness. Four years later, I had a finished book. And I was like, okay, here's the book. Here's the ebook file. You can read it now. And she was like, actually, I prefer (laughs) to read paperback. So, <laughs> I think I love her. Like, can I hire her as my like motivational coach? Because that's sure. amazing. <laughs> She's honestly incredible at it. She make it. I was say, I'm having a different reaction. I don't know that this would be the form of motivation for me. <laughs> you just quietly block. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, well, we're not siblings anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I taught myself paperback formatting, and then I handed her the paperback, and I was like, "Here you go." Now you can finally read the book I've worked on for four years. And she was like, yeah, I couldn't really get into it. So, <laughs> oh, my God. OK, that that might be the dagger in my heart, because I was like, OK, you know what? She got a book out of you in multiple formats, got you going. And then like, wow, what is what I mean, I can't the get too bad because like, I have a career thanks to her now. But like fair, I was going to say, let's. We'll wait to pass our final judgment. This story has had some twists and turns. We'll see how it ends. So yeah, in retrospect, looking back over my books, um, that's where the tough love elder sister archetype comes from. That Uh, seems to show up again uh, and again. Okay. So what happened to her writing ambitions? Weren't you going to get rich and famous together? (laughs) She has not yet produced a novel. In her oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Mm. Well, she's not here to defend herself, so we're just going to say interesting. Yeah, with the like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, okay. So that is actually quite the origin story. I appreciate that. Uh, is that first book something that you ended up publishing or is that one that's in a drawer somewhere? It is one I ended up publishing. It is Mr. Warren's Profession. Oh, awesome. Nice. That's awesome. That's that was your cool. first book? It was, yeah. You wow. can tell. <laughs> I, I was about to say the opposite um, because I've, I've gotten to read parts of it and it seems quite polished and in, like I, I enjoyed the writing quite a bit. Oh my gosh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Yeah. So, so wow, good for you. Has your, has your writing evolved? Not like, do you still try to do like some type of writing every day? Like, have you kept up with that since, since that ball got rolling? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, I try, but it's hard. Or have you been like, has your writing evolved? And the answer was simply, no. No. <laughs> I've actually regressed <laughs> as an author. Yeah. <laughs> going in a bold new direction. <laughs> I've decided to get worse. You know, <laughs> you know what? Worse. Nobody's gone that route yet. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I, I can 
there is power. There is power in original. Wow, that's true. Yeah. Okay, that's true. Maybe they haven't done it by choice. (laughs) That's true. We won't name any names. Um, So I'm I'm more familiar with Mr. Warren's profession. uh, But so what are you've moved into fantasy historical fiction? Can we still call it historical fiction if it's fantasy? Would it be fantasy historical? I've been calling it historical fantasy. Okay. So you sort of started talking about this already. So let's go back to it. Um, So what drew you to that particular genre? I got to a point where I was like, in order to make these books historically plausible, the characters themselves have to kind of fade into the background. They can't really be the movers and shakers of history because if that were the case, then history would be vastly different. Mm-hmm. And as a student of history, I just kind of didn't feel comfortable rewriting it entirely while still claiming to be purely historical. Right. And so with Oak King, Holly King, that was kind of my first testing out the waters of can fantasy work for me as a genre? What's going on here? Because Oak King, Holly King is about 50 50 straightforward Victorian historical. And half the Fey realms are also here. I like that uh, compromise, maybe best way to say that. Because yeah. I, I like the notion of, of still getting to work in uh, a genre where you're obviously drawn to it and you feel comfortable. Um, but acknowledging that, yeah, it's going to be real difficult to write characters who are openly queer in that historical setting. Yeah. And like Victorian era, like, mm. and have any kind of believability. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read any of did exist in the sorry. Victorian era? I feel kind of obligated to point sure. out. Oh, for sure. Sure. But just in a uh, way that, um, let's heterosexist historians have plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like right. everyone, everyone being roommates. And <laughs> just, right. They yeah. were best friends for 90 mm-hmm. years. Yes. Buried in the same grave. <laughs> yes. Spooning. And they're like best friends. Right. Well, and many of them also would have marriages of convenience just to right. keep up with uh, society and doing what they had to do so that they were not shunned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. they could receive their fortunes if they were of that class. Um, but yeah, certainly a, queer people existed. In my work. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was, I was just about to bring up, um, I don't know if either of you have read any of KJ Charles work. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, similar vein, except the one thing about KJ Charles work is um, those relationships tend to remain behind closed doors. Yes. And if they can find a small group of people who kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, get what's going on and mm-hmm. accept them, they're like, okay, all right, we'll do that. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, every, the secrecy of it, I guess, is. Is tough to swallow as a contemporary queer person. It does get a little, dare I say, triggering at points, trying to find a happy ever after for these people. Yeah, that would be Well, tough and that in any way rings true. Right. Yeah. And I think, like, we talk about this sometimes with our authors, um, but, like, finding the truth of a story, I think, is part of what allows readers to connect to it. Uh, you, you could make up um, a world in which there was no homophobia in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. You could make up that world. 
and maybe it would be an entertaining story, but I, I do think it would be hard for people to really connect to it. Yeah. I think you would have to put it in a fantasy world just because I mean, we've, I've watched shows that are set in those time periods and has, and they have like an openly gay character. And I'm like, I mean, this show's great. And I appreciate that they're not telling that kind of story, but I can't help but be like, I mean, pretty sure they'd burn her at the stake for that. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like just, yeah, it's hard to what suspend disbelief and certain elements like that. Right. I feel like I fall back a lot on Edward Carpenter and George Merrill, if you're familiar with them at all. I'm not. Okay. So they are late 19th century, early 20th century queer rights activists who lived together openly as a couple. And they did this by both saying, actually, fuck society, we're living on a farm on a commune, and anyone who wants to come be gay on the farm with us can do that. That's epic. And that's how E.M. Forster got the inspiration to write Morris. No way. That's really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Because he was friends with these guys. Amazing. Also, I want a t-shirt now that says, come be gay on the farm with us. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'd go go at least visit. Right? amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Do you have to work if you're on the farm? That's the thing. Oh, that was no. the one See, that's how they, they get coming up with. This is like they'd be writing all these essays about like queer rights and socialism and poetry and what have you, and then a bunch of aspiring young twinks would show up to the farm <laughs> and then realize they would be expected to do farm work and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother! I fell right into it was that trap. Yeah, you were so excited, and then was like, "Oh no, I'm not going to shovel the cow poop. I'm going to go." Yeah, Good no, luck, guys. because the farm hands do that, right? <laughs> the farm hands. <laughs> Wait. I'm, I'm a farmhand. Farm yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh epic. no! Oh, the disappointment on your face. <laughs> it sounded so nice for those people. Bad. Yeah, I come from farm stock, so I th- I should have I should have actually had more uh, uh, self knowledge. I guess I don't know, like presence <laughs> yeah, of mind been, like, to know that like, oh, yeah. this isn't gonna work because like, yeah. I remember having to pick stones out of the fields when I was younger. That sounds terrible. And it's it not even fun. a fun gay farm. It was just like a regular. It was just farm. my grandparents' farm Boo. in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. No good. No oh, good. I no. I was the only gay thing there, <laughs> as far as we know. I have follow-up Never questions, know. but that'll be for another time. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there a particular reason why the Victorian era is something that you were drawn to? Is it was that like? one of the facets of history that you're that you studied since you're a fan of history um it is one of the ones i felt particularly drawn to just because it's got the right mix of history and modernity to me because you've got like the industrial revolution smack dab in the middle of the 19th century so like if you want something more pastoral pre that if you want something more futuristic post that and you can kind of like pick and choose from wherever you want in the century depending on the kind of story you want to tell I like I I think the Victorian era is just for me it's one of those like time periods that I can really get into when I'm reading like especially MM romance cuz it can be romanticized so easily to me like it's just like I I know that one of the um one of the phrases you use in one of your books is a, a fantasy of manners which I thought was I I love that definition and I wanted you to expand on that a little bit like what does that mean So Fantasy of Manners was started by Ellen Kushner when she published Swords Point in 1989, 1980-something. And 
her book Swords Point is basically, okay, it's Victorian London, but it's also vaguely the Republic of Venice, and everyone has swords, and everyone is bisexual until proven otherwise. That's, That's my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, right? Why don't we all have swords? It's all... Like... You don't? I don't. You Really, you don't? No, you, of all people, have, don't have I a sword? I have one sword. Okay. I was going to say, I, I was one. about to call nonsense. Do you have a sword? I did. And then my friend took it, and I'm trying to get it back. Mm, that think, sounds shady. I think you're going to have to get another sword to fight them for the sword. <laughs> I think that's the law. If I'm... <laughs> Like, don't you have to challenge them to a duel at this point? I would prefer not to, because I like my friends alive. But, like, you know. That's fair. I suppose that is a consequence Mm. of dueling. I mean, maybe not to the death. Maybe just till one of you yields. But I guess if you're both stubborn, that's going to happen. So, that's fair. Both of us really want this one sword. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe then, then the duel takes place without swords. Just, like. Slapping. slapping yeah just yeah there you go good old just slapping. slap fight just yeah yeah for for the sword yeah you do um, it on the gay farm in fairness the swords in my house are mostly lightsabers but oh there you go i i can believe that yeah i have i have one hell of a wizard staff though Ooh, have and i seen that i don't think so because it was like from a long ago costume mm-hmm. but i i do actually keep it in my bedroom closet as a weapon in case an intruder was to come into my house nice i never wish that upon you but i kind of do it's it's like it's heavy yeah and it's like the most weapon like thing i have outside of like a drawer of knives i just want that on a police report okay. <laughs> assailant was caught entering the home but was, was bludgeoned thwarted. with a wizard staff cudgeled by a wizard yeah <laughs> oh wow we went off the rails so fast but i love it like always yes <laughs> But yeah, um, Swords Point by Ellen Kushner has been sold as like, wouldn't Pride and Prejudice be better if everyone had a sword and was gay? You know, it's yes. very that yeah. vibe. The answer to that question is yes. Yes. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Just yes. Fantasy of manners and also manner punk were coined as terms to kind of describe this fantasy novel she had written where like, there aren't really like dragons and wizards or elves. There's not like a whole lot of magic, but it's. A society that feels deeply historical and is fantastical in its structure. I love that. Yeah, that's super cool. A lot of like court intrigue. Right. Well, and another, not that we couldn't explore these themes today, but I think it was especially prevalent then in writing. Um, And there's a little bit of this in Mr. Warren's profession, but there's like also the class structure was so clearly defined. Yes. And so you had the chance to write romances between the classes. And like that was yet another uh, obstacle or stumbling block to overcome. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Is that something that you've continued in the work as it has gone more into the fantasy world? It keeps happening. Um, I don't, I feel like I don't ever go into it intending to recreate the very hierarchical Victorian class structure, but it does keep happening. Because even in like Firenze, which is much more Venice than it is Victorian London, there is still like, you know, dukes and princes and uh, ruling nobility versus the common folk and like who can cross those class lines and how and like 
as in our world, it tends to be artists and sex workers. Interesting. That is interesting. I like that. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Good, because there's a whole book on it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I wouldn't question you. Right. Like, I'm just like example, an example, an example of like stories that have been told Mm -hmm. throughout history of like how that happens. It is a lot of artists and sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. That's epic. I love that. I love a revelation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for listening. (laughs) So I haven't had the pleasure of reading like a full book of yours yet, but I, I went onto your Facebook and was reading all the snippets that you have out for people to see, like how you write and things. And uh, one of the things I saw was in uh, the um, Holly Knight. What? No, I'm sorry. I, I'm, but I don't have the title in front of me, so I'm already messing it up. Is it okay? Uh, the, that's the one. All right. Um, where uh, is it? Shrike? Is that how you pronounce his name? Correct. Yes. Okay. So Shrike realizing that humans are born like how animals are born yes. and how horrified he was by that. And so I was like, this is hilarious. So do you have a lot of like humor, like that kind of sprinkled in? Or are you, are you mostly more like angsty in your stories? Um, useless answer, but it's about 50, 50. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a good balance. Like I, I'm a sucker for like really good, like the humor kind of like as the extra little spice, especially if it's like hurt comfort or it's got like really good angst, like that humor helps kind of, break it up so it's not as acidic to me so like when i read that i was like oh that's great like i i just i loved when they were talking about how he's like yeah i was born from an egg aren't ever isn't everyone born from like mushrooms and and soot and his and his poor human friends like no man it's <laughs> not at all how it works it's just it was great so i just i had to know if if the stories had humor like that peppered in Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Oak King, Holly King in particular, I got to have a lot of fun because Shrike is a 500-year-old fae, and he hasn't been to the mortal realm since, like, Henry IV was on the throne, so, like, you know, late 1300s, early 1400s, and he's showing up in Victorian London being like, there's way more people than I remember. (laughs) That's amazing. I love how he's that old and he's still, like, Pardon? How do people get born? <laughs> that was not a priority for him, obviously. No, he's he's been less concerned with that particular biological reality. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of um, him trying to remember whether there's a king or a queen on the throne, or like him trying to figure out why, if he goes to the park during the day, people are like, "What's what with this guy?" And if he goes to the park at night, everyone's, "Oh, what with what's up with this guy?" saucy (laughs) Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your other work Fiorenzo Uh, yes so that is again historical fantasy that is the fantasy of manners and it is um, the story of a courtesan Fiore meeting a duke Enzo and how this does and doesn't work with Fiore's retirement plan of finding an old guy to latch onto and inheriting everything when he dies. Because 
Enzo is Fiore's age, so they're both mid-twenties. <sighs> so that retirement plan thing's not gonna work out. So it becomes like, how can Enzo convince Fiore he's in it for the long haul? Yeah, I failed at that too. <laughs> that was my plan and it did not work out. Healthy and like close to your age-ish. I mean, let's not say that. I mean... I, there's a gap. There's a gap, but I'm it's young. not like a huge gap. I'm young. It's, it's a sizable gap. A gap was achieved. Yeah. Um, I was also hoping you could tell us um, a little bit more about your Patreon and like feel free to pitch it to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, if you read Mr. Warren's profession and you thought, I sure do love these guys trying to make it work in Victorian England despite their wide class difference, but what if they lived in a solar punk society instead? Then I have the story for you. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, that's not where I saw that going. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> More twists and turns. Solar punk society. Yes. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay, great. So we're familiar with but Steve, I guess. Yeah. I, yes. Okay. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. So what if instead I know of what it is. coal and steam and that sort of power, we had instead renewable energy resources in a Victorian world? Because, fun fact, Ooh. they did. What? People in the 1800s were already concerned about, eventually we're going to run out of coal. And also, this doesn't seem to be doing great things to our air quality. So, can we look into, like, how ferns are getting energy from the sun? Because, like, yeah, England's very cloudy and shady, but the ferns are growing just fine. So they must be able to get energy somehow. Man, they were smart. Right? That's amazing. I didn't know that. And then- I, I didn't. I am learning more. <laughs> We should just call you sometimes and be like, hey, (laughs) we need to know about gay farms, about Victorian solar powered situations. Damn. So in like in real life, they were already figuring out this technology. They were trying for it. They were less successful on the solar front, but they already had, you know, windmills and water wheels and like. The eco friendly pre steam power power was still a functional thing, and they found ways to make it more efficient. There is the. um. The Archimedes screw, which is like a water turbine that generates electricity. And hydroelectric power was actually used one moment. I have to very loudly find a particular book on the shelf. There we go. Cragside in Northumberland is a mansion built by William Armstrong, an absolutely insane Victorian era engineer. And he had a house that was powered by hydroelectric power in the 1800s, including lights. That's crazy. For his portrait gallery and an elevator. An elevator. Dang. That's so cool. So then solar punk is like just if that technology had taken hold instead of coal and steam power. Correct. Yes. That's so cool. It's cool. Okay. Now I am kind of interested in reading that story. <laughs> right? That's really awesome. I got started down this particular track because in Mr. Warren's profession, Aubrey Warren, the working class man who claws his way up to middle class respectability as a clerk, has a secret desire to be an electrical engineer in the 1890s. And I was like, okay, I know that engineering is going to suck for about another century or so. So how can I retell this story in a way that makes his choice of career more hopeful? And I was like, all right, solar punk time. 
because in researching Victorian engineering, I found out that they were trying for this for some time. That is cool. That's so cool. That is the main thing in the Patreon right now. It is 90,000 words of a work in progress retelling of Mr. Warren's profession with solar power, which also allows for me to do other world building changes, such as adjusting the terms of the Labuschere Amendment to... Sure, we're all familiar (laughs) with that. So the Labuschere Amendment (laughs) is what fucked over Oscar Wilde. Oh, okay. okay. It was an amendment to an act, the name of which escapes me at the moment, but basically William T. Stead was a newspaper man and reformer who wanted to raise the age of consent in Britain across the board. And to prove that this was a problem, he purchased a 13-year-old girl and brought Mm. this story to the authorities being like, hey, this shouldn't be possible in our society. Do we want to fix this, maybe? And they were like, yes, but first we're putting you in jail for doing that. And now... (laughs) Oh my god. So this goes through Parliament, and they're like, yes, yes, raise the age of consent to 16. That's far more reasonable. And they were like, okay. And then Labuschere gets up, and I don't know what the hell his problem was, but he decides, we need an amendment, because... 16 is a perfectly fine age of consent for women, but for men it should be 21. And also, also, we're going to switch up the Buggery Act, and while we did away with buggery as a hanging offense a while ago, now what we're going to do is criminalize all acts of affection between men as under the umbrella of obscene acts. So, we go from... A much higher burden of proof for specifically penetrative sex to if the keeper of the hotel you stay at thinks it's weird you guys slept in the same bed, we could bring that to court. But in the solar fantasy world, I can say, okay, let's bring this more into the spirit of the law and say, we're just going to raise the age of consent and leave out that whole obscene acts part. Because what even the fuck were you doing, Labouchere? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What an asshole. He was working through some stuff. Yeah. Clearly. I think we can make some assumptions about Labouchere based on that. Because mm. he doth protest too much. <laughs> also, what's wrong with buggery? We love buggery. We do love buggery. Buggery's great. Buggery's fantastic. Sometimes mm-hmm. people are just jerks about buggery. <laughs> Another t-shirt quote. Yeah. <laughs> We need to open a merch store, man. <laughs> We're work- we got to work on that, you know, with our free time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what's next? What are you working on now? Uh, right now I am working on what I am calling the Dark Academia Project, which is a rebuttal to Francis Hodgson Burnett that no one asked for. Okay. <laughs> for me and me alone. <laughs> and what form will this rebuttal take? Ideally, it will be a trilogy. Okay. I'm hoping it doesn't have to be much longer than that. Are you familiar with the works of Francis Hodgson Burnett at all? Enough? Well, okay. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Uh, she wrote The Secret Garden, The Little Princess, and Little Lord Fauntleroy are her most famous works. 
She wrote okay. a okay. bajillion other books, but those are the top three. Um, she also wrote another novel for young adults called The Lost Prince, which mm-hmm. is extremely Edwardian, both in tone, content, and also in theme. Where it basically posits, what if there was a revolution in some Eastern European country that necessitated the fleeing of the royal family to Britain, and the prince of said royal family was lost, hence the title, and a young revolutionary alongside a random Victorian waif had to go travel all across Europe bringing the word to the other revolutionaries that the true prince was back and we can get him back on the throne. It is a premise that goes charitably nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it starts- it's also like the movie Anastasia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Imagine the legend if that Anastasia, had I guess, too. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine if there was less to that story. <laughs> <laughs> My particular um, problem with this story, apart from it going nowhere and achieving nothing, is that the Victorian urchin character called the rat starts out walking on crutches and by the end of the book through the power of just kind of positive thinking and having a smile on his face he's no longer disabled and mm-hmm. that's not Edwardian how it works wellness. Ms. Burnett <laughs> yeah. yeah that's not how anything Oof. works and also spoilers for a book no one has read and no one will read the book ends with the young revolutionary is revealed that he was the lost prince all along. Huzzah! He's now the royal family, and his Victorian urchin friend is now living in the palace with him. And I'm like, okay. Oh, interesting. No are one's like going to friends? be thrilled with that. <laughs> no one in the country's going to be, like, thrilled that the prince they ousted is back and now has a foreign sidekick. No one's going to be cool with that. And also... This little Victorian urchin isn't for a hell of a culture shock when it comes to class, language, culture, just everything. How is he going to adjust to this? And I don't think the smile that magically fixed his legs is also going to fix any of this. (laughs) And I'm sure they're just roommates. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of that. So, in my version, we cut to... (laughs) These guys are now at university. How are they coping? <laughs> right. The answer is poorly. <laughs> Not great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before we let you go? If hurt comfort is your trope, I wrote Ferenzo for you. Nicely nice. done. Yeah. Nicely yeah. done. And we do have some fans who like the hurt comfort. <laughs> Uh, we have been talking about that quite a bit mm-hmm. of late. Yes, so yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, and we hope people will go check out your Patreon. Uh, and yeah, thank you for all of the history lessons. I was about to say, and for teaching us about a bunch of stuff. This is fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This was talking you. All right. So... You can find all of Sebastian's socials in the episode show notes uh, and make sure to check out his Patreon for the exclusive content that he's putting out mm-hmm. every month. Yep. Sebastian was fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. He's great. I <laughs> learned what solar punk was. Yeah. That was so fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah. I just, I love it when we talk to people and learn something new about mm-hmm. 
like art history or genres we didn't know existed. I was like, this is so yeah. cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, did you know what solar punk was, listener? Let us know in the comments. Yeah. It, maybe this is just like a well-known thing and me and you are just the oddballs I, on this one. I have since talking to Sebastian heard about it in other places. Really? So I, so I am wondering, like, was this around and I just didn't catch it yeah because i didn't know what it was mm -hmm. uh and now that i know what it is i have i'm hearing it yeah. when it's being mentioned or is it just truly that like he was on the front lines yeah of, yeah of making this popular yeah. and now it's now other people are talking about it so <laughs> uh please also do follow our social media you can find those links in our episode notes as well uh visit us at hoofandfangpodcast.com if you have comments or questions for us that you want to tell us directly uh hoofandfangpodcast at gmail.com and as we say every time support the patreon get the audiobooks get the discounts, get the bonus episodes. Yeah. Um, we are doing the 13th, 14th Animorphs book right now. Yeah. Uh, so there's still a long way to go, but there's a lot of back content now yeah. for you to catch up on if you haven't subscribed. So Tons of good stuff. Those are very fun. So, All right. Uh, we will be back next.